0: It is great to see a full church. It's good to see so many people here gathered together to celebrate baptisms and support these kids and these decisions, and just does my heart good. You guys sound great singing. Uh, it's just a great day to be gathered together, to sing together, to pray together, to worship the Lord together. So thank you for being here. Um, if you're visiting, again, as Kyle's already said, uh, we want to welcome you to New Life Community Church. We are glad that you're here Uh, Thanks for coming to support the kids, and we just hope that you've enjoyed your time with us here. Um, My name is Jasper. I am the associate pastor here at New Life Community Church, and it's an honor to get to preach this morning. Uh, We've been walking through a series uh, called What Happens When We Worship, and I think Kyle's going to pick that back up next week, Uh, but we're taking just a brief uh, break from that, so today is just a standalone sermon And what I want to talk to you about this morning is a topic very near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about joy today, all right? So I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited to preach this morning. Before we do, before we get started, let's go ahead and pray again really quick and just ask that God speak to us through His Word, amen? Heavenly Father, we thank You again for today. We thank You for this opportunity to gather in Your house. And I just pray now, God, that You speak to us through Your Word, you speak through me, just move me out of the way, that you would have us hear what you want us to hear, and we could walk out of this place inspired and joyful because of what your word teaches. I thank you again for these kids that have been baptized this morning. We just praise you, God, for your goodness in their lives. We pray, as Kyle has already said, that we can come alongside them and their parents and help them grow in their sanctification as disciples of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Today, I want to talk to you about joy. This is something that we all long for. It is something that we spend our entire lives in pursuit of, is joy in one, from one degree to another. In the classic Christian book, Pilgrim's Progress, which we are currently reading Uh, in our men's group, uh, Biblical Manhood. This is a shameless plug for any of you guys that want to join us. This is a great book. We just started it, and so I, I encourage you to come join us for that. But in this classic book, the main character's name is Christian, and he decides that he has to leave his hometown, which is called the City of Destruction. No wonder he wants to leave, right? He wants to live in a town called Destruction. But when asked why Christian feels like he needs to leave. What is he in search for? What is he looking for? His reply is that I'm searching for a joy that does not fade. And so we all long for that kind of joy. We long to be joyful, although it seems that some people find their greatest joy in being miserable. (laughs) Some people love and enjoy just always being angry about something. But we all want to be joyful. Now, as Christians, we should be known as a people that are joyful. We should be known for our joy in the Lord. It should be a trademark of anyone who proclaims the name of Christ to have a certain amount of joy. Jesus tells us in John 15, 11, that these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we see this all throughout Scripture. This is a mark of Christianity is this kind of joy. And so I want to talk to you about this this morning, not only because of that, but because as I've already mentioned, this is a, a very personal topic for me. You See, I've always been a very anxious person. Those of you who have known me for very long know that. Uh, I still struggle with that today. Sherry and I laugh about this a lot, that if I had been born back in the early 1900s, people would have said, he's a nervous child. That's what they, that's what they would have said about me. This, is, this has always stemmed from two things. I've always been a people pleaser and I've always had this fear of failure. And it's been something that I've struggled with my whole life. I never wanted to let anybody down. I didn't want anybody to not like me or be mad at me. And I sure didn't want to make mistakes or fail at anything, which is a horrible way to go through life because mistakes are going to happen. You're going to fail. You're going to let people down all the time. So in my mind, what would happen is when this would happen When this would happen, it could be the most insignificant thing. And it would create this snowball effect in my mind. It would be something very small, but by the time I got done with it, it had turned into this gargantuan thing in my mind, and I'm having a full blown panic attack over it. And it's kind of silly, but that's just what I would do. And I started to think that this is the way that I'm wired. You know, that's what I was told. It's the way you're wired, it's who you are as a person. So as an adult, I started trying to deal with this in a variety of different ways. Early on in my adulthood, I dealt with this in a lot of very unhealthy ways. Uh, But eventually, uh, as I became an adult, I I went to doctors. We talked about these things. And of course, I get prescribed all kinds of medications. And I think I've been on just about every one you can prescribe for anxiety or depression or anything like that. So I tried all of that, um, but just ended up kind of accepting this label of being a Debbie Downer or a Negative Nancy, or even at one point being called Eeyore, all right? So that was, that was pretty hard, a hard pill to swallow. But I just started to accept it. I just figured, you know what, this is part of who I am. I, I worry about things. I get anxious really easy. I believed that it was out of my control and that I did not have a choice in the matter that I was just destined to feel that way and to be that way. I I genuinely believe that. I have no choice in this matter. This is a chemical thing in my brain. It's just how I'm going to be. But then a few years ago, my perspective on this started to change. I don't remember the very first time I heard it. I don't know if it was in a sermon or an article I read or or just in conversation. But I remember hearing the phrase or or, or the conversation in effect that uh, anxiety or worry is just a lack of faith is what it is which really stung, especially as a, as a pastor, right? Like, that, that can't be it. It can't be that I have a lack of faith. I'm a pastor. That's what I do for a living, right? I inspire people to have faith in Christ, and I live my whole life trying to live out my faith and tell people about the joy of Christ, and that can't be it. That can't be why I suffer from anxiety. I started to realize in, in thinking through this that the two are at odds with one another. You see, as your anxiety increases, your joy decreases. And the other way around, as your joy increases, your anxiety decreases. And as I started to learn this and started to study this a little bit more, more and more as I started to realize that this is not just something that I, I'm stuck with, that I actually have a choice in, and I would just kick against that. Like, no, these people don't know what they're talking about. When you say I don't have enough faith, you don't understand that this is a chemical thing in my brain that I don't control. So it's not a lack of faith. That's offensive to me. I would get anxious about that. (laughs) But I would be a people pleaser, so I'd want to listen to them. And so anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that I I began to study God's word on this and see what does God say about this? Is this true? Am I lacking faith? Because I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a man known for... A lack of faith. And I started to notice in God's Word commands, not, not, not requests, but commands to not be anxious and not worry. I started to see commands in God's Word to rejoice and to trust in the Lord in all circumstances. And, and in these situations where these people were being told to trust in the Lord and to not be anxious, they weren't going to Walmart for a Walmart pickup. They were facing death and they're being told, be joyful. Don't be anxious. You know, I can't even walk in Walmart anymore. I'm I'm becoming that guy. <laughs> so these people were facing much worse and they're not being told, you know what, it's okay to freak out a little bit. No, they're being told, be joyful. Don't be anxious. And so it started to to develop in my mind that I'm realizing, okay, maybe there's something to this. Maybe this whole thing about anxiety that I've believed my whole life is not true. Over and over and over, I saw that Christians are to be a people marked by faith and joy, not anxiety and doubt and fear and worry. In fact, that very joy that we are to be marked by is to be our strength, as we're told in Nehemiah 8.10. It says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Lord, through his word, started to convince me that staying this way was not an option for me. I decided, you know what, I'm going to quit making excuses. I'm going to try my best to stop being anxious, to depend on the Lord and to be joyful. But of course, you know, I I kept thinking, well, I can't just flip a switch. And so that leads me to where we're at today. And my guess is there are, with this many people in a room, there are probably some of you out there that suffer from the exact same thing that deal with anxiety, deal with stress over a variety of things. And I know you're probably right there where I'm at. So I want you to hear what God's Word has to say about this today. I, don't, I want you to understand that you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live with anxiety or fear or doubt or any of those things. That God's Word has given us a cure for that. And we're going to see it in just a moment in Philippians. Now, I do want to make one disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. So don't go home after I preach this sermon today and go throw all your medications away and say, Jasper said, I don't need that anymore. (laughs) Talk to your doctor first before you do that. But I'm trying to let you know that you're not stuck in life having to depend on that. Okay, so let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter four. We're going to be looking at verses four through nine. Philippians four, verses four through nine. Now Before we read, let me give you a little bit of context here. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, to the the Philippian church. It was the very first church that Paul had ever founded in Europe. This church had plenty of reason to be anxious, to be worried about what was going on. Okay, So they're facing opposition. They're facing persecution. That's happening. All Christians are facing that. But their founder, Paul, is in prison at the time when he writes this letter. Also... Epaphroditus, who was a prominent member of the church, was sick and almost died, as we see in chapter 2, verse 27. There was disunity in the church. We see early on in chapter 2, Paul urging them to be of the same mind and the same accord. And then we see here in chapter 4, in the first few verses, that there were two ladies named Syntyche and Iodia, that he was urging them to be agreeable in the Lord, to set aside your differences and get along, be reasonable to one another. So in this church, there's all kinds of things they could be anxious and worried about. There's disunity, there's persecution, there founders in prison, there's guys getting sick and almost dying. I mean, there's lots of reasons to be anxious and to be worried. But Paul gives them some very clear instructions in this text today about how to deal with that. So we are going to read verses four through nine of Philippians chapter four. If you would, if you can stand to your feet as we read from God's word, I'm going to read and when I finish reading, I will say, This is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, Thanks be to God. So let's read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this whole letter, the whole letter of Philippians, is one big encouragement to the people at Philippi. Everything Paul writes in here is meant to encourage them and spur them toward joy in the Lord. That is the whole theme of Philippians, and that is the theme of our text today. In fact, that's the theme of this entire sermon. If I could sum it up in one sentence, my big idea for you today, as we often call it, is this The peace of God replaces our anxiety when we dwell on Christ. The peace of God replaces our anxiety when we dwell on Christ. So I want to talk to you today about how do we do that. How do we dwell on Christ? Paul gives us three ways in this text that we can keep our mind and our attention focused on Christ that so we can dwell on Him. The first is to pray. All right, prayer is the very first one. In verse, in verse 4, Paul starts out commanding them. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Anytime you see a command like this repeated back to back, It is meant to draw your attention to that. It's it's meant to be a big way of waking you up to say, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you because this is important. This would be the equivalent of a parent if they're trying to talk to their child and they say, hey, hey, pay attention to me and look at me when I'm talking to you. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying, rejoice. I'm going to say again, rejoice in the Lord always. This isn't a request, this is a command to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, rejoice is a, it's a verb. This is a, f- a form of the word joy. It is joy in action. In fact, in this context, the way Paul uses the word, it, is, it means to be joyful or to make yourself joyful. He is commanding them. He's not saying if you feel like it, maybe smile a little. No, he is saying be joyful. Make yourself joyful in the face of all the trials that you're going through. Everything that you're up against, be a joyful people. Be known for it. He's not just asking this. Now, here's the kicker. He tells us how. He's not just saying, look, be joyful just to be a joyful person, just so that you're happy and you're more, you know, easier to be around. No, he's saying rejoice in what? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. That is where our joy is found, is in the Lord. It's not in the circumstances around us. It's not in this world that we live in. It's in Christ, in Christ alone. That's how we can be joyful always. That is the cause for our joy. It is the object of our joy. It's what fuels our joy. And not just occasionally, but always, in any circumstance, we can rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Even when our circumstances seem disastrous, we have reason to rejoice in Christ. We're only on the first verse, and we already have all the motivation we need to be a joyful people, but let's, let's keep going. So let's see how else Paul is instructing us to do this. Paul gives a second command. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, reasonableness here means forbearance or a gentle spirit. So remember, there's been disunity within this church. We saw these two ladies that were arguing over who had the better casserole, and he's telling them, y'all, I'm kidding, he's telling them, y'all need to be reasonable. You need to be agreeable in the Lord. Don't be known for your fighting and your bickering. Be known for your love for one another. And so he just got done exhorting them that. He told them back in chapter two to be of the same mind, of the same love, and full accord with one another. So in light of this, we know Paul's talking about our relationships with other people. He's addressing that specifically. He's talking about how to love one another, how to be agreeable to one another, how to put aside our differences and let our love for one another trump any petty differences that we might have. But this can also mean to use reason in your thinking. Let your reasonableness be known. Instead of letting those little anxieties or doubts or fears snowball to where you're just out of your mind and just acting crazy, be reasonable. Think about what you say before you speak. Stop and take a breath and think about it. Let your reasonableness be known so that others see that in you. You're not the kind of person that just flies off the handle and lets your emotions and your feelings run you. You're a person that is rooted and grounded in God's word and confident in what he has done and joyful in him, and nothing can shake that. That's the kind of people that we are called to be. Next, Paul reminds them, his listeners, why they should have this joy and this reasonableness, as well as the very next command he's going to get into. He tells them, the Lord is at hand. Now, this could mean that the Lord is coming soon. It could also mean that the Lord is with you right now. Both are true. But it's because of Christ, it's because of Jesus that we can have joy, that we can love others, and that we can be reasonable. Again, that's our motivation, our fuel, our our purpose in all of this is Christ. Paul then gives a third command, and we're really getting into the meat of the text now. Verse 6, he says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here we find the cure for anxiety. All right, so anyone out there like me that deals with this on a regular basis, this is your text. This is what you hang on to. Don't be anxious about anything. See, I used to think My problem is that I get anxious and worked up over little stuff. I need to learn how to discern in my mind the things that are worth getting worked up over and the things that aren't. Like maybe I'm just getting too worked up over the little stuff, but, you know, I'll save it for the big stuff. So maybe I shouldn't get so anxious about running late for something, but if I have a blowout on the way there, then I have every right to just have a full-blown meltdown, right? That's what I used to think. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying don't be anxious about anything. Now, consider, remember the context of these people and what they're going through as a church. Paul's saying, don't be anxious about a thing, anything. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. This is a bold statement for these people, considering what they're facing. Instead of getting anxious, he says, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying, instead of worrying and getting anxious, take it to the Lord. And then he gives us some specific ways to do that. The first is through prayer. It's through talking to God. That's all prayer is. It's talking to the Lord. Vent to the Lord. Take your burdens to him and pour it all out. He already knows your heart anyway. You might as well talk to him about it. Get it all out of your system. He wants to hear from you. He's a good father. He loves his children. Cry out to him. We've been singing in home groups a song. It's it's a classic good old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And we're going to sing it today at the end of the service. One of the lines in that song says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Pray to God. Bear your heart to Him. Pour it out to Him. He wants to hear from you. The second thing Paul tells us is through prayer and supplication. So supplication is asking for something. It's when you're asking God for something. You're asking God, take away this anxiety in me. Take away this stress. God, please help me deal with these circumstances in a sane way where I'm not losing my mind. Isaiah 42.3 says that a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God is near. He wants to hear your prayers. He wants you to bring your concerns to Him. He is glad to hear it. You're not burdening God. There's no burden you could lay at the foot of the cross that's too heavy for Him to carry. So take it to God in prayer. Take it in supplication. Plead with Him and ask Him to help you. Ask Him to help you see what you need. And then lastly, do it all with thanksgiving. Do it with thanksgiving. Show gratitude and thankfulness for what God's already done for you. We don't go to the Lord in arrogance. We go in confidence knowing we can approach the throne, but not arrogant, making demands. We go thankful for what God's already blessed us with, and we make our petitions to Him. So that's the first part. That's kind of step one is prayer, and that kind of prayer, supplication and thanksgiving. Pray, ask, and be thankful. But don't do it according to your own will, according to your own selfish desires. James 4.3 says you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. We want to make sure when we go to the Lord in prayer and we're making supplications and petitions that we're asking according to His will, according to His sovereignty. So let's be sure to do that when we go to the Lord in prayer. So that's the first thing is to pray. We must be sure that we are praying in line with God's will. We must be thankful. And if we will do this... If we will do this, He will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the structure of this statement is very interesting. It's it's what we see in other places in Scripture. This is what's called an if-then statement. If you will do this, then this will happen. Paul is saying, if you will take it to the Lord and take it in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, if you will do that, then he will, he absolutely will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise. That's not a maybe. That is a promise. He will guard your hearts and minds. Now, why do we need our hearts and minds to be guarded? Why in the world? Why do I need that? But Jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart is, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. See, I know that left to my own devices, I will begin to worry and have anxiety and spin out of control. I know that. I know that if I follow my own heart and my emotions and my feelings, that I'm going to get in trouble really quick. That's why those sayings of follow your heart is a bunch of nonsense. Follow God's word. Follow him. My heart will lead me astray. My feelings and my emotions will betray me. And my mind will wander with thoughts of what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? So I need the peace of God to protect my mind and my heart from those thoughts and those feelings. I need to have discernment to know what God's promised me in his word. Versus what my heart and my feelings might be telling me. And we can have that peace if we will take it to the Lord in prayer, is what Paul's telling us in this scripture. John Piper says it this way. Paul promises that a life of faithful, Christ-dependent, Christ-exalting prayer will be a life protected from anxiety and its many sinful fruits by God's peace. God promises us this. Why not cash in on that promise? Let God's peace guard your heart and mind by taking it to the Lord in prayer. So the, the first thing, the first way we dwell on Christ is we pray. The second way is we think. This process of replacing anxiety with joy doesn't just end with praying to God and leaving it all there. Once we cast our anxieties at His feet, once we empty our mind and our heart of all these burdensome thoughts and fears and anxieties, we have to replace that with something positive now. We need to put good things there. We need to take the bad out and put something good and worthy in there. Well, what could that possibly be? Paul tells us in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is true, what is honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, dwell on that. Think about that, not your circumstances, not what's causing the anxiety. Don't think about that. Think about what's good. He's instructing them what to fill their mind and their thoughts with. The ESV study Bible says that the Philippians are to fill their minds with things that will inspire worship to God and service to others. So that begs the question, well, what what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely? What is commendable? Jesus. Jesus Christ is all of those things. What is excellent and worthy of praise? Jesus Christ. And not just that, but all the good things He's already done. All of the blessings He's poured out on us time and time again. We think about those things. That is worth thinking about. That is worth dwelling on. What we've seen in here this morning. These are the things you think about. Dwell on that. Not the petty little things that we're going through that can cause stress. Remember God's goodness through our trials and tribulations. How can we do this? How can we meditate on these things? We study His Word. We sing His praises. We remind ourselves daily of His goodness, of His salvation for us. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If nothing else, remembering that God saved us from sin and death. Saved us from hell should be enough to cause joy in our hearts every single day. That should be enough. But there's so much more. He's poured out so many blessings on us. We should always be thinking on these things. If we think on that, if we remember those things, if we remember His goodness and dwell on that and not the negative circumstances, all of that stuff just fades away. If you fix your gaze on him, the worries of the world just seem to fail, just pale in comparison. As the, the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So dwell on Christ, not your circumstances. And then the third thing to do, we pray, we think, and then we do. We can't just let it all be good thoughts in our head. We have to put it into action at some point. He tells us how to do this in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What you've learned, received, heard, and seen, practice those things. So practice means an ongoing action, right? We continually do it. Not just once. You don't just try it once. Oh, that didn't work. I'm done with that. You over and over and over again, you do these things. Constantly doing these things. So what were these things that these Philippian people had learned and received and heard and seen in Paul? What is it it they're supposed to be practicing? Well, they learned who Jesus was. That he was the son of God Almighty. They learned why he came and suffered a death on a cross for their sake and for our sake. They received that message and they believed it with repentance and faith. They heard the gospel unfiltered, not watered down, preached everywhere Paul went. And they saw Paul live out the gospel, loving others and enduring persecution, suffering for the name of Christ. This is what they heard. This is what they learned. This is what they saw. And he's telling them to go and practice those things. Practice what you've learned and what you've seen and what you've heard. Don't just let it be something that you hear and then that's it. Don't just come in this place on a Sunday morning and hear good preaching and hear about the gospel and walk out and be unchanged. Go live it out. Go practice the things we talk about. As James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And if we will do this, we have another promise in this text, as if one wasn't enough. He promises the God of peace will be with you. First, we saw that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. And now we see that the God of peace will be with us. So not only is he going to send his peace to protect my mind and my heart, but he himself will be with me in every circumstance. What great assurance is that? What cause for joy is that? That the God of creation, God Himself will be with me in my circumstances, in my stress and my anxiety. He has promised to be with me. That is such a reason for joy this morning. It's such a reason to praise God and thank Him. We can be joyful. We can be a people known for joy, not anxiety and doubt and fear, if we will dwell on Christ, if we will take our cares to Him through prayer and think on what is good, and practice the things we've learned and seen. We can live a life free of anxiety and stress. You don't have to live your life that way, like I thought I did. We can't divert our gaze left or right. We have to stay focused on Christ, or like Peter, we will start to sink and drown in the sorrows and the worries of this world. The peace of God will replace our anxiety if we dwell on Christ. So, what does this mean for you today? How do we take all of this and apply it? There's been several commands in this text of things to do. So, I'll obviously do those things. But, believers in here today, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you are a Christian, in this text, we've seen multiple things Paul's commanding his listeners to do. And I want you to take this away from this today. Maybe you're like me and you think, well, I suffer from anxiety and stress and worry and depression, and I'm just doomed to be that way all my life. But I firmly believe, because of passages like this, that through Christ we have freedom from those things. So whenever you feel anxious or worried or have doubts or fears in this life, pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And if you will do this, The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Two is think. Think about what is pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise. Don't dwell on your problems. Dwell on Jesus. Think about Him. Think about all He has done for you. And then do. Don't just listen and think and and let it all be in thought, but go and practice the things that you've seen and heard and learned. Practice what God's Word teaches you. If you will do those things, you can have the peace of God. And the God of peace will be with you today. But if you're in this place and you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you are not a believer, you've never said, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life and my king. I've never submitted my life to him. I want you to know, if that's you, that this world is full of anxiety and sorrow and sadness and sickness and death and worry and despair. It is everywhere you look. I know you know that. The evangelical commentary on the Bible said this and said it so well that the peace of God, which replaces anxiety in the life of a prayerful believer, is impossible to experience unless one already is at peace with God through faith in Christ. How true that is. There is no peace from God, peace in this world. We don't have our minds and hearts protected from the stresses of this world apart from peace with God through Jesus Christ. That has to come first. Without repentance and faith in Him, we are at enmity with God. And that is reason to have anxiety and worry and doubt and fear. But if you will place your faith in Him, in Him alone, not yourself, if you will repent of your sins and give your life to Christ, you can know this same peace. And the troubles of this world will melt away in comparison to knowing Him. This is the promise that we're given in this text today. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you've never done this, I invite you today and I beg you to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, in Him alone. Turn your doubts and cares and anxieties toward Him. Cry out to Him and let that peace guard your mind and hearts. Give your life to Him and know a peace that you can never know apart from Him. I beg you for that today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank You for this time together. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what we read in Philippians 4, that no matter what this world throws at us, through all the anxieties and doubts and fears that this life may have for us, that we can have peace through Your Son, Jesus. God, we thank You for His death on a cross, that He paid for our sins, and that by putting our faith and our hope and trust in Him, that we can be free of sin. God, I pray if there's anyone in this place today that has never done that, that they would do so now, that they would cast their cares and anxieties at Your feet, that they would trust in You, that they would put their full confidence and faith in You, and that they would know Your peace, Lord. God, please help us to not trust our own hearts, not trust our feelings, and not be weighed down with the anxieties of this world, but to remember Christ, to dwell on Him always and to experience this peace that you've talked about in your word. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.